0: Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the show, we welcome Michael Brooks, CEO of RealPAC and Tim Hudak, CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. Together they discuss the present state of Canada's housing market, highlight future trends as well as more affordable housing solutions. Brooks and Hudak explained to host Pamela Ritchie the path that led to our country's current housing situation, shedding light on factors such as the rate of home construction and the influx of immigrants. To add to that, rising interest rates have halted housing development and immigration numbers continue to rise in Canada. They also discussed necessary policies and systems that could be implemented to enhance our economy. They explained the need for an across-the-board solution. Many individuals without rental alternatives often turn to nonprofit or social housing, which could potentially lead to more challenging living conditions. Many of these discussion points can be found in Hudak and Brooks's report, The Multi-Sector Approach, which looks at the factors driving the national housing crunch and the recommendations to improve the situation. This podcast was reported on October 19, 2023. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna ask each of you this question. We live in really uh, quite a well-to-do country. We're lucky to live here. Why are we talking about housing, food, water, shelter? Shouldn't we have this covered? I'll ask Tim first. (laughs) We
2: should have it covered. Um, bottom line, Pamela, we didn't build enough homes through the, uh, through the 19, late 1990s, 2000s, 2010s, if I'm saying that correctly. The number of homes being built fell dramatically behind people who were looking for homes. So where does that come from? Well, millennials came of age, getting married, getting right. promoted at work. So they're looking for homes. Immigration, which is now at its highest level in Canada's history. So we had a lot of drivers for homes didn't build enough. So it became a cruel game of musical chairs with more and more people chasing fewer and
3: fewer homes.
1: Fascinating. Michael, what would you add to that? Why, why are we talking about this?
3: Uh, we're talking about it for Tim's reasons. And it's the same thing in the rental market, which most of the real pack members are focused on, is that we've got too many people competing for too few apartment units. And the drivers are the what, a million one, a million two immigrants last year. 800,000 of students, a number of students coming to this country, which has skyrocketed as well. And uh, the CMHC has said uh, we need to build 5.8 million more homes, including homes to purchase, but also rental by 2030. That's an
1: enormous target. It is. I mean, that, that's an enormous target. OK, so just break down for us what Real Pack is. What what do you do? Who, do? who do you spend your time on the phone, in person, over Zoom? Who are you talking to?
3: So, our members are, we have 130 institutional members, every pension fund in Canada, every major fund manager in real estate, uh, all the listed companies on the Toronto Stock Exchange, the banks, the Life Coast. It's it's equity and debt investors in real estate in this country. So, those are the people I'm talking to daily and asking them what they're doing, what what asset classes they're in, what are the investment returns like on those asset classes. And that gets me to this purpose-built rental problem.
1: Right, okay, fascinating. Tim, if the goal is to build more houses, more places for people to live, housing, whatever that looks like, what do you want to see, okay, beyond just more? What what else do you want to see in terms of a system being built? There's sort of policy rails to be built here. What, what's the goal? Sure,
2: well, I mean, I think I take up the entire Fidelity Connects with all the <laughs> things. And no. Pamela, thanks for having us back on, and it's great oh, being here with you and, and, and Michael Brooks, who I worked with uh, quite closely and when I was PC Party leader, was a great advisor to talk about getting more homes built, whether they're, they're owned or rented. You really need an across-the-board solution. So I think we're talking about anything from the, the detached home with a white picket fence to duplexes and townhomes that are more affordable for first-time home buyers or empty nesters to apartments. And it's such a spectrum that's connected that if we don't build enough rental units, like Michael's talking about, people will stay in, in social housing, not for-profit housing, and that means people will get crowded out. And at the end of the day, who is most vulnerable it's, it's those who risk being homeless altogether. We've seen that growing, not only in the city of Toronto, but in smaller cities across our province. That's how deep the problem has become, from the single-family home all the way to those that are barely, barely getting by with any shelter.
1: Amazing. I mean, it's, it's really sort of terrifying when you, when you look at the magnitude of how this has grown. Michael, where did this, I mean, this, as Tim and yourself has, have pointed out, this didn't happen overnight. But it does seem like we are really talking about it in the last year. Why is that?
3: I just think the problem's become acute in the past year with um, interest rates starting to rise in June of 2022, uh, such a steep rise in rates that caught everybody off guard. Um, and it's frozen a lot of development. A lot of the cranes you see now around Toronto are deals that were done before that interest rate spike.
1: It's interesting.
3: Um, Mm -hmm. So in terms of new projects, they're stalled. Uh, Meanwhile, as Tim mentioned, we've got the highest immigration we've ever had in this country. So those two lines are diverging and going in the wrong direction. Too many people looking for too few houses, and the problem's going to get worse.
1: Do you want to add to that? Just on on the immigration side, there's a a lot to be said here. But what what do you think investors really need to sort of understand in terms of how we're going to correct this ultimately?
2: It's willpower, it's, it's the will of government to actually get the job done. In um, we, all levels. For sure, yeah, that's a great question, pal. Let me, let me talk about that a bit more where I think that the major issue is, is going to be. Uh, and Michael described it well, we've gone from a problem to a major problem to a full-blown affordability crisis. It means that Canadian dream of owning a place of your that you can call home is slipping away for the next generation or new Canadians to the point where we're going to lose talent to other provinces or to other states. So so who can play the biggest role? Well, well think of the Olympic podium, right? Okay. The gold, the silver, the bronze medal. So I would put at the top, the provincial government has the, the greatest capacity to get homes built. They're the chief regulator of okay. real estate and building. Secondly, municipalities, because the province can construct the best toolbox possible with lots of tools to get homes built that average folks can afford. Municipalities got to start using those tools. The federal government less so, but they can play a role, for example, by incenting good behavior. Municipalities get more homes built, reward them. Give them that new transit project, the highway, the arena, what have you. And if they don't, well, then you gotta use a stick and withdraw funding, that will get things done.
1: That's fascinating. Um, Michael, tell us how you see some of the, some of the things that are in place right now, either working or not working. I wanna get a sense of sort of a tally of what's been introduced that you think is or isn't helpful.
3: Well, um there's not blame to go around at every level of all, government. Always,
1: here. yes, but.
3: Always, always. Uh, and in, in the National Housing Accord document, you know, we list all of the barriers. Um, and uh, there's kind of eight main, one, eight main ones. I won't go through it, but I think at the very uh, top is the fact that we don't have a national industrial policy to get housing built. It's a patchwork amongst three levels of government. There's no coordination. Did you know that lentils have a national industrial strategy? Lentils. Well, I'm glad I really enjoy lentils. I'm
1: glad to hear that they do. Uh, How do we get on board with housing? When you say industrial policy, what were you talking about there?
3: A comprehensive national plan that addresses all of the barriers and proposes solutions to each of those barriers. And that's exactly why uh, RealPAC and partners at the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness and Smart Prosperity Institute worked on building the plan and handing it to the federal government, saying, "Here,
1: here's your industrial strategy. Get going on it." Right. Okay. Um, Tim, what to those? Because some people, lots of people, think this. What to just leaving it to interest rates to? I mean, it's brutal, but to crash the market essentially, make affordability quite a different calculation. Um, what do you say to that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm. CEO, proud to be for the 96,000 realtors in the province of Ontario. That's what the Ontario Real Estate Association is about in the public affairs space. I mean, we wake up every day thinking, how do we create that next generation of Canadian homeowners? Nothing makes a realtor happier than handing over the keys to that, that first time buyer. And what's happened today, Pamela, is not only are fewer getting frustrated, Mike and I'll describe that musical chairs game, but the housing affordability crisis has actually deepened. So while some politicians might say higher interest rates, the market is cool, that's a good thing, uh-uh. Things are further out of reach. When interest rates go up and your mortgage goes up, that means you can afford a smaller home, if any home at all. The carrying costs become more effective, more uh, uh, damaging to be able to hold, hold that home less affordable. So if you thought we were in a hole before, that hole has become even deeper with fewer homes on the market and a higher price to actually go and buy them because of mortgage costs.
1: Right. Okay, let's get into, Michael, the um, so-called nimbyism. This goes to often the municipal level. Um, there's, uh, there are lots of people who don't want different types of housing put through either their backyard or their front yard or down the street from them because it creates too much havoc. Um, it's the same thing for other types of infrastructure across the country. How do you see that being tackled? What, what needs to be done?
3: Yeah, well, what we're seeing being done is provincial governments taking back control of zoning from local municipalities. I'm seeing that in Ontario. I'm seeing that in British Columbia. Um, but there's a bit of a failing at, at, at the local level in some cases as well. We've lost relevant and up-to-date zoning and official plans. You know, the as of right, early in my career, most of the items, most of the apartments that were built were built in as of right zoning. It's already pre-zoned deal with the NIMBYs through the official planning process. Okay, we're going to talk a lot plan. about
1: this. As of right means what?
3: means you just apply for a building permit, submit your plans. You're already pre-zoned for what can be built on that site, and it's a realistic zoning. We need to get back to pre-zoning in advance. Okay. And then there's no need for public consultation. You've done it on the official plan part.
1: Right, okay. Let's talk more about this. Sure. Because this is, this is one big piece of the solution, it looks like.
2: Absolutely, the the NIMBYism, right? The old acronym, not in my backyard. Pamela has become so bad, there's a new acronym for it. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's called BANANA. Build absolutely nothing anywhere near anyone, right? That's- Wow, that's actual,
1: really good. Wait, say that, okay, I got it. BANANA. Build absolutely
2: oh. nothing anywhere near anyone. Okay. It's gone bananas <laughs> out there. And- um,
1: And this is very, what? Is this very um, urban, Big cities, or is this towns? Is it, is it everywhere?
2: Well, it, it's, it is everywhere, but we make the biggest difference in, in urban areas, okay. although some of the things that Mike and I will talk about can also work in, in small towns. There's no doubt the housing affordability crisis is right across our province and our country. I mean, many of the Fidelity fans or, or uh, staff would have imagined, you know, they when they grew up, they could afford a house in at least the same neighbourhood that they grew up in and that has slipped away in big cities and small towns. Let me get back to the, the as of right and give you an example of yeah, Stanithonimbyism. it's amazing, yeah. Um, so picture that uh, wartime bungalow. It could be in, in Toronto, it could be in Vaughan, it could be in, in Windsor, and it's past its prime. So a homeowner today could knock that home down, and she could build a, a four-story monster home. You see that in many neighborhoods, and we respect it. That. That's their right, it's their property. You work hard to provide for your family. But if that same owner wanted to knock that old wartime bungalow down and build a duplex or a triplex, homes that first-time buyers could actually afford, or retirees. Holy smokes, they so go through this regulatory ringer, the lawyers descend, the NIMBY forces show up at a council meeting, and before you know it, years of delays, higher and higher fees, and the person walks away. And so who loses out? It's those three or four families that could have gotten into one of those first-time home buyer homes. That's what we need to stand up in. Uh, so pre-zoning, as Michael said, would allow, give somebody a right to either build that larger home for themselves or build that duplex or triplex for new families.
1: So Michael, where do you see, for instance, um, shifting policy to make sure that this happens? How do you see that sort of connecting with the story of uh, density, for instance, uh, other types of planning within an urban setting, within a more suburban setting? I mean, how how well can we gel those different goals together?
3: I think we can. Uh, This is the coordination part uh, that needs to happen with all three levels of government and uh so pre-zoning is certainly one answer um and uh certainly along the avenues along major thoroughfares that's pretty an easy place to start to upzone uh it's already got traffic uh, wide roads it's already got transit in many cases that needs to be happened that's almost a no-brainer um elsewhere in the city um you know we just need this gentle increase in density that jim's talking about allowing fourplexes as of right. They're talking about that in Vancouver. We're talking about that in Toronto.
1: It's fascinating. Let's, let's get to the immigration discussion. Um, and it, it's one that, I mean, ultimately what it does is it puts more pressure on a, on a very delicate housing situation. Now, there's lots of different ways to look at this. We also have an aging population. The immigration um, policy obviously has to be there. We need immigration. What are we missing? What do we need to do on this front, Tim? I'll ask you first.
2: People who have the talent to build the homes, the hospitals, and the schools that we need. So we actually released a a paper, and and viewers can see it at orea.com, orea.com, on this issue in cooperation with the BC Real Estate Estate Association and our National Association, CREA. And uh, Pamela, a couple of ideas there. Targeting people who have the skills to build homes, you know, the the carpenters, the builders, the the welders, bring folks of that skill set into our country. Right now, our immigration program gives points. It's a tough program, gives points to those with post-secondary education, business leaders, lawyers, right, academics. But if you're in the trades, Mm. right, you're at the bottom of the list. Given that we have such a crisis in building, Mm. let's bring in that talent, accept them into our country, and build the homes we're going to need.
1: That is fascinating. So, I mean, tell us a little bit more about how you know, is it still a point system? Maybe I'll ask you that. It will go a little political here. But I mean, is it still a point system? How do we need to filter this? Can it, can it be the same system, just altered?
2: Yes, you can adjust it to reward yep. points for those that are going to build homes and, and bridges and okay. roads and transit. And secondly, there are different programs that exist. Uh, to allow doors to open for certain types of skill sets. Recently looked at that for truck drivers as a way of example. Front. So it could give the minister the authority or delegate to the provinces, which we also support, a greater capacity to say, we need this class of, of immigrants who are going to build what we need, especially in the high growth areas like Ontario and British Columbia.
1: On the immigration front, Michael, what, what would you add to that?
3: Um, it's well. It's related to what Jim said, but what I would add to it is is two things. Number one is we also need to get back in the high schools, and tell those high school students, you know what? If you're a plumber, electrician, carpenter, this is a really good career. This is a well-paid career that will give you portable skills you can go anywhere with. So that's something else that we'd like to see. The other element that we added to uh, the national housing accord is we need to explore because. The pace of construction that we need to hit that CMHC target is triple or quadruple the pace that we have now. Wow. That's, that's, that's enormous. And we can't really get there um, through immigration. We likely need to look at panelization, uh, offsite construction uh, to speed up the construction process. We've got one great amenity in this country, Wood. Yes,
1: <laughs> they look coast up, to coast. You talked about Coast this to in, Coast. I know it's amazing. You you told me to look up when we spoke earlier um, this amazing building in somewhere in Europe. I've forgotten where it was. The but, Hoho Tower. Yeah, the Hoho Tower in Vienna. In Vienna. So so there great are examples stories. of tall buildings uh, being made of wood. I'd love to spend all day on that. There's some great questions coming in that you must hear. Yeah. So let's go to a couple of these. So one of them is a lot of our clients rely on home ownership and equity for retirement. How does the housing crisis impact retirement plans? Can I begin with you, Tim? It's what you are on paper, right? Yeah,
2: for sure. Well, I mean, um, in today, today's environment, there's, there's downward pressure because of the increase yes. in mortgage rates and fewer people you know, coming uh, into the market. But let me, in response to that question, Pamela, and, and to yourself, I'm an optimist here. Like we have, yes. we're, we're, we're sounding the, the, the five alarm fire, right? In terms of doing something in the affordability crisis. But there has been progress. We've been successful lobbying the provincial government that have brought in five different pieces of legislation that are pro-home ownership, getting more homes and more apartments built. The tools are there for municipalities. And in 2021 and 22, we actually built the most homes in Ontario that we've done for three decades and the most purpose-built rental. So at least we're turning in the right direction. Just keep your foot on the pedal and keep driving is my advice to decision makers. So what does that mean, those with with home equity? Well, you know, if we get get more homes uh, built, you'll see more people coming into the market. A challenge my parents had, for example, in their retirement years was they wanted to sell the family home, four bedroom place, great for a new family, right? But they couldn't find housing they could move into to stay close to the grandkids that they could afford. So we get more homes built, that's going to free up more spaces and ensure that nest egg, right? That nest egg for retirement, the questioner asked about, will be preserved. And the last thing we want on this topic, the federal government has sometimes looked at, talked about a tax on home equity. Man, if you want to blow up middle-class retirement savings, if you want to drop the A-bomb on, you know, our retirees, bring in that tax, it would be a bad idea, it will kill investment and be a betrayal of the Canadian dream.
1: Fascinating. Okay, so it's so interesting to get that perspective. Michael, a question for you. What would it take to convert empty commercial office spaces into housing? This is asked a lot. Calgary's had, it looks like, some progress down this road. Um, why isn't it just simple?
3: Yeah, uh, it's it's difficult because the layouts difficult uh, residential versus commercial you know there's a commercial standard for office buildings and it's uh, you know 40 feet between 50 feet 60 feet between the uh, elevator core and the outside window so there's there's a set of met design metrics for office that don't always translate well into a condominium for example you end up with long bowling alleys because it's such a long distance from the the elevator core to the window so There's design issues. um, And usually you have to strip the building back to the bare concrete and rewire, replumb, you know, re-drywall, reframe everything inside it. So it's enormously expensive outside of Calgary. Um, In Calgary, they have a long-term surplus of office space. They know it. They've said, we wanna take 5 million feet of old buildings out of our market. We're gonna give developers 70 bucks a foot to convert those buildings to residential and they well this is six months ago data but i heard that they had three million of the five million already spoken for so it's a successful program but it needs a government subsidy to make it work and
2: i, I can Please. add to that i mean i of the view pamela that this is like some is better than none so right. michael laid out some of the complications but has made progress we could in in toronto ottawa or or london too here's some su- other suggestions on the commercial side a lot of commercial real estate you know, in, in malls, in plazas, which are having greater challenges, could be converted to residential, both building above and building around in the parking lots. And what we need to do as municipalities then to rezone, stand up against some neighbors that might protest, look, I get it, they'd like to have that parking lot to play ball hockey or something, sure, yeah. No, but we need the enough. home. So I think there's a lot of avenues here to, co- to actually convert commercial into residential like that.
1: That's fascinating. Michael, um, so, you're speaking to investors here today. Uh, why would we invest in real estate right now?
3: Um, well, uh, in purpose-built rental, which is the area that I really focus on, um, the existing supply is gold, unfortunately, because new supply is no more difficult. So you've got more renters chasing a finite number of units coast to coast. And that's the reason why um, Rents are rising in addition to the cost drivers on the owner's side, the interest rates, et cetera. So, um, it's a very durable asset class as long as the buildings are maintained. So for investors, uh, in public companies, the REITs, the apartment REITs, others, uh, pretty safe space.
2: And underlying yeah. underlying yeah. demand is so strong, right? I mean, it's a bit smothered today because of the uncertainty around mortgage rates, but yeah. I mean, holy cast, think about it. You've got the millennials. Right? that are the biggest generation in, in Canada's history who are delayed in their housing decisions. You mentioned earlier the report that Aria did on our, again, on our website, aria.com, around school debt, a rapid immigration. Canada and Ontario remain a beacon for, for talent from across our country and around the world to come here to live. And you've got the bank of mum and dad, and, and mum and dad you know, love their real. sons and daughters dearly, but wouldn't mind them moving out of the basement and finding a place of their own. So we you have a lot of, of demand that is going to be satisfied. And the good news here, Pamela, is that despite the challenges and the depth of the affordability crisis, the Canadian dream continues to be as bright as ever. We find that more than seven out of 10 people who don't have homes do believe in it. It's an investment that pays off in the long run. It is our most precious memory. You and I are talking about raising our kids, right, in our homes. Mm-hmm. That demand is strong.
1: Yeah,
2: It will always pay off in the medium and long run.
1: Just to, to sort of finish up on a couple of different, going back to the the as is, the clause. I mean, um, is that, did I say that right? Is it called as it? What's the clause that we've been talking about?
2: Oh, as of right. As of yeah.
1: right. Um, as of right. Give us a couple of examples about that. So, I mean, I will, I hear anecdotally, and I don't know if it's true, that all of Young Street, all those two-story um, buildings that are left on Young Street, which is the biggest street in Canada and maybe the world, I think, um, are all slotted to eventually be developed into much taller buildings. That is the transit line in Toronto. It's one of the main ones. Is all this work being done? Is it slotted? I mean, you hear anecdotally that it is. What, what is the hold up here? Has it been sold to developers to be developed? I mean, what's what's not happening?
2: Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's typically um, the NIMBY forces that slow these things down uh, staff then that puts them on this this merry-go-round of approvals to get through the process, where you go to the recreation department and then you go to water and sewer, then you go to bylaw enforcement, and they all make changes, and you go around and around. We need to speed that up. Look, there is a happy consensus right now when it comes to investing in in transit in Toronto and other major cities in Ontario. They're making billions of dollars investment, whether that's subway or light rail or that, that's fantastic. But Pamela, does it make sense to have two-story buildings around that? There should be as of right along our subways, including the Spadina um, extension and the Danforth line, where you only have two stories? That makes no sense whatsoever. And that is uh, terrific homes, particularly for first-time buyers to so get their foot in the market. And as you know, once you get your first home, it's easier to move up that ladder than it is getting the market in the first place.
1: Interesting, and and. Michael, what, what would you say is sort of a bit of a final thought on on some of these things starting to move? The delays. How do you remove the barriers that you've had in your report? What's 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 sort of going to move the fastest here? Do you think in terms of barriers being removed?
3: Well, I can tell you that the narrative um, has really changed over the past six to nine months. Every major government in Canada is hearing it from their constituents about housing. Every major government in Canada is very much focused on supply. So we have a really unique opportunity, uh, nationally, provincially, locally, to get a lentil strategy applied to (laughs) housing, (laughs) to get a a coordinated housing strategy to get more housing built of all types and uh, find places for those students who will be our future, Avoid putting homeless people, uh, or give homeless people a place to call home in social housing. Like, every segment of the market needs new construction.
1: Fantastic. I want to thank Tim and Michael for joining us. It's a bit of a journey conversation. I'm so pleased we've had it, and uh, really appreciate both of your time here today on Fidelity Connects. Thank you.
2: Yeah, pleasure. Thanks to
0: Fidelity for having
1: us on. Yeah, delighted. Michael, thank yeah. you very much. All the best. Thanks, Fidelity.
0: Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.